Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger came in studio for the Mayor's Town Hall. We talked about LRT and also took your questions. A document was leaked by the NDP yesterday at Queen's Park that contained a draft bill that could lead to privatization on Ontario's health care system. Pretty controversial. So we asked Health Minister Christine Elliott to respond. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It's the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us here in studio. Welcome back to town, actually. You were in Ottawa earlier this week. I was, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's colder in Ottawa, thankfully, and uh, but it's, uh, you know, almost equally as cold here the last couple of days, uh, you know, to the point where um, my car wouldn't start last night when I got back from, uh, from Toronto, so I was almost stuck in the uh, City Hall parking lot. Had to get a boost, and then uh, this morning had to do the same again. So uh, time for another battery, I guess. Uh, time, to, time to replace that one. But you know what? Frozen water pipes are uh, happening out there, and I think there's an advisory out to yeah. uh, to let people know. Let let you know if you if you are you pr- if you're prone to that, uh, let the water run a little bit so you don't get caught with that that sort of thing. Uh, and hopefully we'll get people back up and running, uh, you know, as quickly as possible. But uh, Good time to beware out there. Back it in is the day, busted. back in the day uh, when I was on city council with you, and that's going back like uh, back in the 1800s, I guess. <laughs> it was inevitable when the water, when the weather got this cold. There's broken water mains, and and thankfully because of the the work that city council has done and staff over the last 20 or so, odd years or so, uh, you've caught up with an awful lot of that stuff and replaced a lot of that aging infrastructure. And, and well, so far so good, knock on wood, but we haven't had any of those. Yeah, they're, uh, I mean, they still happen, yeah. uh, you know, but not to the degree that they were happening back then. Uh, a lot of uh, water line relines were done, yeah. sewer line relines were done, which was, which is, uh, you know, a longer term fix to put a plastic sleeve inside the uh, the water lines themselves. And that's, uh, that, that's had a great benefit. This freeze-thaw cycle, and it looks like we're in for a thaw, uh, is hellish on roads. It's hellish on underground uh, infrastructure. Uh, you know, things shift and move, and then and then shift back again. So I anticipate, and we've already announced this, that uh, there are going to be potholes. Can I encourage people oh, to drive there carefully out there. Uh, we're not looking to create potholes, but uh, when you know the water gets underneath the road and then it freezes and it stays frozen and then all of a sudden thaws, then uh, you know things start to break break loose. So I expect that we're going to have some rough uh, rough roads uh, this part part of this winter, and we're going to get at them as quickly as we can. And we encourage people to call the uh, the city helpline uh, when they see a pothole and give us as much detail as you can, so that uh, we can get our staff and crew out there to fix them. All right, uh, a lot of stuff we want to talk about here mm. today. Uh, none the least of which, of course, is uh, well uh, LRT. Uh, let's mm. let's get now not the project itself. But the information around it, and I, I know that uh, you were up in Ottawa for the first part of the week, but I know you were keeping track of what was going on with the sure. discussion down here. Yep. Uh, and it had to do with, uh, I guess, actually, uh, the, the spectator did some uh, freedom of information requests about uh, trying to get some details about this, and a lot of the stuff they finally got was redacted. But the essence of this was is that there's a possibility of cost overruns. And uh, to that point, uh, I had Donna Skelly on the program earlier in the week, and I asked uh, Donna, what's the deal here? And uh, Well, you've heard the clip, obviously, mm-hmm. that uh, she says it's a billion dollars and uh, if there's a cost overrun, the city is responsible, which I think is probably news to you because you don't have any official word on that, do you? Well, no, not really. And you know what? The, the billion dollars was uh, was an earmark. Uh, you know, it wasn't uh, wasn't you know from the liberal government point of view cast in stone number. It was uh, you know here's the here's the original estimate, and let's go out for the RFPs and see what the what the actual numbers are going to be. Uh, you know, the, the here's the irony of this. Uh, so this is a design, build, finance, operate, maintain project. So the bidders are going to be doing all of it, including financing this over thirty years. And it, it will be an asset that's going to be owned by the province of Ontario. And there's, uh, 
there's a, a an accrual, an accounting benefit to them as a result of that because an, an owned asset you can depreciate over time. So from an accounting perspective, it's a better arrangement for the province to have. And so their their full ownership of this project is actually a benefit to them over, over the long term because it's going to be financed. It's not direct payment up front financed over 30 years and then there is that uh, that depreciation benefit that helps their uh, their bottom line books on a on a year to year basis so I, I you know i'm 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 going to be agnostic on this whole speculation around costs we're not going to know until the bids are out the, the, let's get the bids done now <clears throat> let's get the, a strong signal to the uh, to the bidders out there that uh, this is a live project that's going to happen and let's get that happening, and uh, we'll see what the what the bottom line number is. Now, you recall the original estimate for the the McMaster to Eastgate was eight hundred and fifty yeah, million dollars when it right. uh, when it initially started. So there was an added uh, one hundred and fifty million dollars put on there because of the time time lag that uh, happens, and of course costs do go up. And so you know I'm pretty comfortable that this billion dollars uh, you know can do the, can do the project. Uh, and well, but you know, there's only one way to find out, and that that's get the RFP done. We've got three bidders sitting in the wings, ready to go. Why? Why have now? I was told that they have. You haven't really, or the, not you, but I mean, Metrolinx has not re, re, accepted any bids. They haven't seen any yet. What's the holdup there? Well, there. I think the bidders are looking to get a you know a, 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 a clear go ahead from the province. Well, that, they, you uh, see, therein lies the problem. I, I mean, you guys have done everything you need to do at right. this stage. Uh, and and at this stage, if I'm a potential bidder, I'm saying, well, well, I need some clarity on this about about costing, about cost overruns, etc. A contract is a contract, you know. I know you guys do this with every contract at the city. Right. If somebody's going to build a, a rec center, an arena for you, uh, there's a holdback. There's this. There's that. There's all those details, and they haven't done that yet. No, and, and, and you guys are you guys are sitting here. What's holding up, what's holding you guys up? Exactly, and what's holding them up is uh, you know a clear signal. So some uncertainty at the province. Uh, you know what the premier did say that uh, he he believes that this project needs to move forward. What we need to see is a, a clear sign from them. A lifting of the freeze of the land acquisition would be a clear sign. No kidding. It costs a million dollars for any for each of those bidders to uh, to put a bid together. Not a not a simple matter, and so they're they're uh, they're not prepared to put a million dollars on the line until they know that this is a live and active and going to be fulfilled project. So I I can't fault them. So uh, you know we've been actively you know trying to get uh, get to the premier and get to uh, get to a meeting where we can sit down and and hammer out the you know the clear signal. Premier says uh, you know democracy was at play here in the last election. Uh, he's absolutely right. Uh, he respects that uh, the outcome, and so let's get on with LRT. And I would hope that our uh, local MP, government MP, would be advocating on behalf of Hamilton. So, you know, let's not minimize the, uh, the, the benefit that comes to Hamilton. Let's maximize the benefit that comes to Hamilton. I think that's her role. I think it should be her role. That's certainly my role, is to get as much benefit coming to the city of Hamilton that we can utilize and, and improve our city with from other levels of government within reason. And we're not asking for the moon here. We're asking for projects that are happening all across the country. And so we need their uh, help. We need their, uh, their their resources. We need a clear sign from them that we're prepared to move forward. And I'm hoping that uh, that uh, Council, uh, MP Skelly will get behind this project and, uh, and get us uh, what we need to actually fulfill this project. Well, I, I talked to Brad Clark about this, and you know the motion that uh, that Councilor Clark is going to bring forward on this. And 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 again, uh, as as he explained the motion that he's going to present here, it's it's really not saying where's the money. It's simply saying give us some clarity here. 
I, it, I, this is not even a time to talk dollars and cents right now. It's just, to, can we have a go-ahead? Because, they, like you say, the people that want to bid on this thing are waiting to hear from this. You're waiting to hear from this. Mm-hmm. Everybody's waiting to hear from this. Right. And all this is going to take is, is an acknowledgement from the premier to say, yeah, let's do this. Uh, everything's a, a go. Right. And, and we're not hearing that yet. So uh, the, the comfort I have, though, is if they had an intention of stopping this project, they could have done it, uh, could have done it by now. They haven't done that. And, uh, you know, the, the, the amount that's being spent, and, you know, a lot of work continues, as we well know. So the, there's a freeze on the land acquisition, but there's been half of the properties have been acquired, and they're, some of them are boarded up already and ready to be adjusted to, uh, to accommodate the, uh, the route. Uh, and and a lot of the service uh, under service work, uh, the bridge bridge aspect down in the uh, Longwood Road area, all that uh, of subsurface work is being done. And you know the the, the costs are mounting, so we're up to 160 million dollars of expenditures already to prepare for the project in terms of full development. So uh, you know if they wanted to stop it. They could have stopped it, uh, you know, months ago. They haven't done that. Uh, I, I think the province needs a, it needs a, a positive win, uh, you know, somewhere along the line here. I mean, cut, cut, cut is, a, is you know, a, it seems to be the mantra. But certainly they also want to help build up the province and help build up communities. And the, the building that you're doing in Hamilton, which we're trying to explain to them, is, uh, is uh, generating more tax revenue. <coughs> Excuse me. Generating more tax revenue, it's going to be a benefit to the province. The the more taxes we can generate here locally takes the pressure off the provincial taxpayer to uh, to continue to provide dollars coming into the city of Hamilton. So I, I'm sure they see the benefit. And uh, once once we get to kind of a complete understanding from them that they're prepared to keep moving on this, then everything will start to flow. Yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to paint anybody with the black hat here. They're, they're the bad guys. Uh, I, I get a little nervous when I hear about efficiencies and cut, cut, cut. And, and that seems to be the mantra. You're absolutely right. But on the other hand, they do seem to have a commitment to public transit, not just here in Hamilton, Correct. but right across the province. Right. And that's uh, that gives me comfort as well. So you know, I've, in Ottawa, three billion dollar uh, LRT project, uh, you know, almost finished, set to uh, flip the switch in March. It's absolutely spectacular. I had a nice briefing there from uh, Minister Watson and some of the uh, OC uh, Transpo team there. A uh, billion dollars from the federal government, a billion dollars from the province, a billion dollars out of the local tax base. And so they see, uh, you know, the investment that they're making in this project as a long-term value for the community, not only from a transit perspective, from, from a development perspective. And they're also seeing the development uptick that uh, we're expecting to see here in Hamilton. So they're doing it for, you know, essentially the same reasons, improve their public transit system, and uh, make, a, make an upfront investment to, uh, to generate more tax revenue going down the road off of existing infrastructure that's already built. That's a, that's a sound, uh, you know, philosophy in terms of doing this project, uh, and they're prepared in Ottawa. Taxpayers are paying a uh, billion dollars out of the local tax base, out of, the, out of each individual property tax, uh, you know, uh, amount that uh, people are paying to pay for this project, and they're doing it willingly. There's uh, that. To be fair, though, I mean, Ottawa is a bit of a different scenario. It's almost an apples and oranges scenario here because, I mean, there's a, there's a capital fund there that uh, Ottawa gets an awful lot of stuff because it's the nation's capital that uh, that ordinarily Hamilton wouldn't qualify for. But let me ask you to go – I want to go down that road, if, you, if we could, for just a minute, Mr. Mayor. Uh, if what Donna said the other day is true, and, and I, I agree. I mean, she's not the minister. She's certainly not the premier. So she, I, that, she's not stating policy. Uh, and she was pretty clear to say this is just her opinion. But if if they come back and say any cost overruns are going to have to be absorbed by the city, what does this do to the project? I know I know that it's it's not the best scenario, but does that mean this thing stops? I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that we say, okay, we just have to suck it up and do something about it. 
Well, I mean, that'll be, uh, that'll be my reaction. I mean, I'm not going to speculate to see what happens here, but uh, my reaction will be, well, what's, what's plan B? Uh, you know, where, where can we go? So we have a federal government that's very focused on transit. Uh, there's a PTIF round two coming up uh, that's probably going to deliver potentially $400 million to the city of Hamilton for transit. So uh, there are options. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no reason to kind of fold the tent. The, the question people need to re- remember is that this is all about long-term revenue and long-term yeah. benefit. Uh, so the, the moment you lose that equation and you just make it a costing scenario, then you really lose the whole, the whole idea about why this investment is so important. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll stay focused on the long-term benefit, and uh, we'll deal with uh, whatever, uh, whatever the RFP you know, comes out with uh, when it comes out. We'll know better. I'm, I'm uh, still pretty comfortable that uh, we can live within the $1 billion uh, you know, mark in terms of uh, the added m- numbers they put into this well, since the original d- uh, um, estimates were made. And uh, you know what? what, uh, what uh, the, the trick is get the RFPs out because this is the only way to find out. Why is it taking so long for these guys to get back to you? I mean, I, I know your office has reached out to Queen's Park a couple of different times right now. Uh, I, I don't know that they're ignoring you. I mean, this a phone call would suffice. I mean, it'd be nice to get a visit here, but a phone call, uh, it, it hasn't happened yet. That was uh, that was my next iteration. I know I know they're busy. So they're you know they're a new government and they're you know going ninety miles an hour and they've got a lot of things on their plate that they're uh, they're focused on, whether it's amalgamation in other areas or, I mean, there's a lot going on. So I, I give them that. Uh, you know what, um, uh, I would say, uh, I would agree with you that, uh, and what I suggested to the minister of transport is if you, if we, if we can't arrange a time, well, let's arrange a phone call. It's not complicated. Uh, you know, we can probably accomplish in an hour with, on a conference call, what we, we need to do, uh, sitting face to face. It's always optimal to have a personal relationship with, uh, you know, our friends in, in Toronto. And I, I certainly want to continue to foster that. But this 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 project is of sub, su, such significant importance that I think we could do a little bit of a hurry up offense here. And, and they, get got to the it. Issue. they know that, don't they? Oh, well, I would think so. But uh, you know, and and again, I mean, what uh, what comforts me is that the project isn't stopping. So the work continues, and we still have a Metrolinx office here that uh, is on Hunter Street, jointly with uh, the city of Hamilton. It's being funded by the province. They're not stopping any of that funding. They're not stopping any of that work. So I'm I'm comforted by the fact that they're they're like they're going they're going to come around to saying thumbs up. Let's get the RFP out there. And this freeze that everybody keeps focusing on is not freeze a freeze on land acquisition in Hamilton. It's right across the province. No, I understand. So that. we got we got caught up in a land freeze that uh, really wasn't targeted at Hamilton, but is now affecting the kind of the move forward on you know some of the things that we need to do to keep this project moving. So again, a clear signal from them would be. Yes, Hamilton, lift that land freeze, get on with that work, and let's get these RFPs done. Because it, you're right. I mean, technically, they're, they're not stopping the project, but that land freeze is, is curtailing it. It's slowing things down. Slowing things down, and it, and it worries potential bidders that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not certain that, uh, that the province is 100% on board. So all we need to hear is, let's go to the RFP process, and let's keep this project moving. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. The Mayor's Town Hall, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is in studio, and uh, we're going to go to your calls in just a couple of seconds. Before we do that, though, um, there was a ceremony last night, uh, and uh, once again, the city of Hamilton has been honored. 
We have, uh, you know, uh, Economic Development Award Council of Ontario did their awards uh, banquet this, last night, and uh, we won three uh, three major awards last night. Uh, two of them for economic development, one from tourism. Uh, one was for the uh, 2017 annual report. They're they're about a year behind in terms of their award categories. The second was for the uh, mayor's uh, blue ribbon task force, which I'm particularly proud of. And uh, you know, this is all about skill shortages yeah. and uh, recognized as a uh, good strategic uh, plan and initiative. And Ron McCurley at Mohawk College was uh, instrumental in help us, helping us do that. And the last was for uh, tourism Hamilton, specifically on the uh, the Canada Country Music Awards that uh, got an award for the kind of the week long uh, you know event that they put together. And uh, Sharon Murphy and Kerry Brooks joined her with her last night. Very excited to uh, to be acknowledged for their good work uh, in our community. Not only for this, but they, you know, we have such a great tourism team that uh, brings in these great events, and you know, Great Cup being one of them coming up. Uh, they know what they're doing, and uh, the, these awards are actu- actually an acknowledgement of their good work. So I just want to congratulate all of the economic development and tourism teams for their. Uh, their great honor last night and their ongoing great work. It's remarkable what they're doing. And I, I know they actually they had a bid in for the Junos for this year. They didn't get it. Well, London did, but then, you know, we, so fine. We took, we got all the nominations instead. Okay. So. <laughs> we got the awards. Yeah, and we'll, next we'll year just, we'll go after we'll the Junos again. Truck and the Arkells right. and everybody up there and, 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 and Diane Pant and everybody else are going to collect the awards. But yeah, anyway, yeah. the Junos will be back here in no time at all anyway. It's going to be great. You know, but what a remarkable turnaround, though, for tourism. I mean, this was a, like, I, I, you know, not too long ago, we'd, we'd bring this subject up and people said, tourism, who comes to Hamilton? Uh Hotels. I, I know that you got the report the other day at, at your right. uh, your meeting down at City Hall. The numbers for tourism and the numbers for hotel rooms here are remarkable. They are, and uh, the growth is incredible. And the growth is as a result of the you know the demand for capacity yeah. that people are coming. the uh, The numbers on tourism are higher than ever before. So some two million people a year are coming to visit Hamilton for one reason or another. A lot of them coming to our great events, and whether it's the the festival events, and we we are kind of the festival capital of Ontario. We probably have more festivals and events happening in Hamilton than uh, than anywhere else, quite frankly. And so people are attracted to that. And, uh, you know, that is quite the, the – you remember the days when the, the challenge was always we can't get the events because we don't have the hotel space. Uh, now we're, uh, we're in that space where a number of hotels have already been built and three more in the queue. Uh, that really expands our opportunity to bring bigger, bigger and better events here to Hamilton that uh, people enjoy. And so Country Music Awards was a fantastic week. Uh, we had the great guitar out in front of City Hall. Yeah. People uh, love that. It's now at the arena. Uh, the Junos are, is always a spectacular event. We have music happening all, all across Knock the city. Knock on wood, the Great Cup. Then the, and the Great Cup. We'll Canadian be, Open this year. Canadian Open coming. And, uh, you know, the cycling that we had a number of years ago. I mean, these are all spectacular, wonderful events that cater to, you know, certain aspects of our community. Not everybody attends them, but certainly many, many people do. And it adds a, a, a liveliness and a, a vitality to our community that I think we all want. Well, well, Super Crawl, I mean, go down the list. There's so many things going on here. Festival of Friends, uh, iconic things that have been going on for the number of years. And uh, it's it's amazing to see the numbers. I, I think what, uh, what uh, they talked about at the meeting the other day, I think the numbers for tourism actually doubled, I think, in the last three or four years, which is just an incredible turnaround. So I was wrong on the number. It's 4.5 million visitors uh, with 22,000 hotel stays, uh, bringing in about $360 million in visitor spending. So it is not only, you know, having a lively city, but it's uh, it's good for business. And that's uh, really the kind of the main focus for bringing these events is the spillover business that happens in our community. So it, it, uh, it invigorates the hotels, the restaurants, the the clothing stores, uh, where people shop, uh, where they eat, and uh, you know all of that uh, is good economic development for sure. 
905-645-3221 is our phone number if you want to uh, ask a question. I got a comment for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Uh, let me go to the phones. We'll get some uh, calls up and some emails and uh, then get back to a number of other things we want to talk about. John, thank you for holding on. Uh, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to talk to the mayor. Did he bring a check back from Ottawa? <laughs> I'm only being funny there. Yeah, you know what? We uh, we get it. We got a check from Ottawa this year, some thirty-two million dollars for uh, for transit. So ex- transit expansion, specifically uh, for a new bus storage facility, what's going to be needed as we grow our transit system. So uh, we're and we're we're up for uh, another round of funding for transit, as well as some additional dollars for housing. And you know, just recently announced a. Uh, I think a $10 million contribution to the YWCA, uh, you know, affordable housing project. So we're, you know, the money is flowing, uh, you know, on the housing side, not as much as we'd like. Uh, On the transit side, uh, they're very focused on that, and we're getting more than uh, than we might have expected. So anyways, what I want to talk about is RRT, Mm -hmm. and it's an envelope of $1 billion. Mm -hmm. We already knew that. Mm -hmm. And when Paul Johnson, about over a year ago, when we decided to move to Eastgate, he was a very honest gentleman saying they could fit it in right. within that. The only difference is we would have to pay for understructure, like if it's a four-inch pipe or a three-inch pipe or a six-inch pipe. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's, a, that's a variable that's still kind of open. So, yeah, you know, so, so far... So far, we've we've uh, we've included in the project an oversizing of the sewer pipe and and the and the water line for future capacity issues, and that's built into the project. So so far, anyways, so, that's good. Yeah, and we know the envelope. So and people so, that doesn't follow it, if they don't want to move to the city, that's a problem. Right. But our, another big one is affordable housing. Right. We put a million bucks; the federal put nothing in. Oh, they did bring thirty million for the Y. Right. Okay. Yeah. Where's the money for everything else we put in? Like, where's the money for our bus transit? You say in the next phase, mm-hmm. we need like four hundred million, mm-hmm. not thirty million. No, and it's there, that's the number actually. It's probably in around four hundred million, of which we we need to put in a quarter Palmatina, of that. Why aren't they lobbying to get the money here? And I don't understand it. Thank you very much. Okay, thank right, you, John. Appreciate you call it. Uh, go ahead, John. I'll let uh, the mayor answer it. Go well, ahead. Well, I, I think I think they are, and I think the the uh, the public transit uh, infrastructure funding is uh, is is already cemented in place. Uh, what we need to do is have this government follow through, and I think so far they have. Uh, you, we could question the speed, but uh, you know what? They've made you know a bigger commitment on some of these funding issues than previous governments have in the past. And you know that uh, you know the current prime minister and their party ran on uh, you know incru- accruing some additional debt. But uh, to, to to do that, to to actually focus on some of these infrastructure investments, which are you know pretty s- significant debts in our community. So uh, you know the the infrastructure deficit that we're facing uh, needs needs resources and help certainly on the housing side. And we're expecting more announcements this year. It's a, it is an election year, so I, I anticipate that there are going to be uh, more announcements happening on the uh, affordable housing front. And uh, and we have our fifty million dollars on the table, which was really an inducement for the federal government to partner with the city of Hamilton and the province, in fact, to uh, to do even more on the affordable housing side. So I'm hopeful that this year we'll make a giant leap forward in that front. The the part of the problem here is is 
let's face it, governments, whether I don't care what office or what political parties, they move at glacial speed. I mean, the the minister in charge of that for- portfolio has been he's been here twice now in the last six months, mm-hmm. promising this. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, but they're painfully slow at getting the money out of Ottawa, and, in, and not just into Hamilton, but to other communities as well. Because I, I hear the same thing from Mayor Nenshi, and I know you guys just met in Ottawa. That's right. And, and you guys are all singing from the same song sheet. Like, I know you said you're going to do this, guys, but, uh, you know, let's go. Get the money going. Exactly. So, you know, the announcements are wonderful, and uh, hearing that they have a commitment to that is great. But uh, we need we need this work to hit the ground, and we need, we need these units to get built. Uh, this is why we're, uh, you know, pushing so hard. That's why we met in Ottawa. Well, and, and the Y Project about- was a great idea though. that's super and that's great to make that commitment there exactly and so but that's only so one project one project uh, I've asked Paul Johnson to to give me a brief on other funding that we've had on other projects and I know Indwell Indwell has had funding from the federal and provincial governments as well as well as from the city so there are a number of projects that are happening but I, I want to see the total I want to see the aggregate number and uh, you know I, I suspect uh, we're doing okay, but we could have we could uh, encourage them to get the money out, uh, you know, quicker, faster, so that we can get these units up and running. The demand is out there, the need is out there. They they recognize that, but you're right that sometimes they put some significant barriers in place in terms of process or applications, or you know, it's really really complicated. You got to go through CMHC. Uh, you know, let's simplify this so that this money can flow and we can get these units up and running. Or one of the other things they always say is, well, okay, yeah, but the, the the city itself has to kick money in. Well, you guys have already done that. Exactly. You you made that commitment already. We de- we have more than, prob- more than on a per capita basis more than most any other city in Canada has done. Correct, and I and I suspect that that's it's already paying off. I know that uh, you know some of our monies have already you know lubricated some of the projects that are now happening. We've been able to waive development charges. Some of the barriers to having these projects happen is the added cost in terms of getting them done. And so we've uh, we've been able to, uh, to to help that along, but we need our federal and provincial partners to, to come to the table, and I'm hoping that this year is the year where it uh, all starts to take take a little bit more action. Well, and and then, of course, there's always the unknown. And and I know that you planned for this, and you, the, the previous government uh, council actually made this huge commitment, the $50 million commitment, uh, but then the Ford government comes along and kills the cap-and-trade program, and all of a sudden that money that was supposed to flow to the city for housing improvements is gone. And and that puts you behind the eight ball. Now, right. an unintended consequence, but a consequence nonetheless. It is. And, then, you know, one of the arguments that we're making at the federal government side is, and we make this at the province as well, is, is, is let's look for a revenue stream that's more consistent that we can rely on. And so, you know, something that grows with the economy, like the, uh, the you know, the, ex, uh, the tax tax gas tax, which uh, we get a share of, and that's a commitment that both federal and provincial governments have made. We, we need a more predictable revenue source because it's very, very difficult to plan forward when you don't know where the money's coming from. And uh, you know, we can't be totally reliant on the local tax base. Uh, they know that. Uh, how do we how do we get away from this cap and hand approach where we need to go project by project to uh, the federal and provincial governments? They do provide funding that comes to municipalities, but uh, but you don't have any kind of reliable stream that you can count on that you can say I know what I'm going to get for the next two, three, five years. So that's a that's an issue that we keep talking to the province and the federal government about, and uh, I'm sure we'll be putting some things on the table uh, this coming election period with the federal government in terms of how we could do that. 905-645-3221, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, the Mayor's Town Hall on the Bill Kelly Show here on 900 CHML. Hi, Dave. How are you doing this morning? Not too bad, thanks. Yeah, I also think a billion dollars they had. A, I agree that uh, that should come in around that, I would think, maybe a bit less. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I also was thinking the same thing you are about maybe uh, with the, tying that into the 
federal government infrastructure program if it did happen to go a bit over. Right. But ma- mainly what I'm calling for is uh, I-, I see one of the featured economic drivers of the city is the airport lands. How are we making mm-hmm. up with that? Well, it's coming along. So we've had some proposals on uh, commercial development uh, in in that area, and so uh, you know, it then it then it becomes a uh, you know a servicing play. So you know, obviously, servicing has to come with that. So the the timing on that uh, is 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 uh, going to be actually significant. But we we do that through development charges. So I see the pro the the uh, the projects that I have seen are very uh, substantial. They're uh, they're employment opportunities, uh, and they're uh, you know something that's going to happen in the next couple of years. So. Uh, I'm very optimistic that we're heading down the the right path in terms of making sure that this is going to be an employment opportunity for us and not a, not a residential development. Very good, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Uh, good news from the airport. Also, last week, uh, numbers are up. Uh, passenger numbers are up. Cargo numbers are up. We're getting closer and closer to that uh, magic. I think it's a million passengers per year gets us into the revenue sharing. Uh, you know, yeah, you're category. in the neighborhood now. So we're we're getting there, and uh, you know, and, and and to the benefit of local users. So uh, you know, people want to fly out of Hamilton. Uh, you know, I wish I could have flown to Ottawa out of Hamilton. I keep bugging our airport. You know, YHM. Uh, you know, uh, airport operator. Like, why can't we get a, an Ottawa operator? That uh, seems to me that more people would be going to Ottawa than would be going to Montreal. And I don't want to take the Montreal flight away, but uh, there seems to be some demand for going to Ottawa. So maybe a swoop or used uh, you to. know one we used to Air Canada used to go there, WestJet used to go there. Uh, now they're uh, predominantly operating out of Toronto. Uh, we now have Swoop and other uh, low cost carriers there. That, you know why not put Ottawa on, on that list? But getting a getting a Norwegian Air coming uh, you know down the road, and they're going to be having or they're having direct flights to uh, to the Scandinavian countries. Uh, we're we're and getting Ireland. It's coming along. So I'm uh, I'm hoping that uh, we can continue to encourage this provincial government to uh, not look at Pickering as a you know future development opportunity. You know this has always been the debate, right? Uh, you know we got this land sitting out there that. Folks in that area of the of the province would like to develop a second airport, and uh, you know we keep saying we've already got a significant airport here. Let's let's develop this one first. So we keep uh, we keep pushing that argument. For and the, I know this is an old debate, and and you're right. I mean, Pickering is still out there. And, and, and by the way, there's just so many people that are opposed to it in Pickering as there are in exactly. favor of it yeah. uh, for a variety of reasons. But for governments that are trying to be frugal, and you just met with the prime minister and a number mm. of the cabinet ministers over the last couple of days, and and we've already heard what the Ford government here at Queens Park wants. To do, you would think that common sense would prevail, and they'd simply say, "Why build something brand new when you've got one here that's already the number one cargo airport in Canada already?" Enhance it. So that's uh, that's supreme logic, but then politics uh, gets gets involved. So you know, then it's a, a question of you know federal numbers in the Toronto area and how much uh, clout do they have at the uh, caucus table, and you know where does that lead us in terms of policy? So. Uh, I'm hopeful that our local members are uh, are advocates for uh, you know in, in enhancing our our, our uh, John Monroe Airport. Uh, it's it's got that international capacity, and uh, you know the convenience is all there. So let's let's develop something that's already well on its way to being a full sized uh, Folsom Airport. Uh, it'll be a few weeks before I get back in here for another town hall, and by mm. then I'm assuming the budget's going to be wrapped up. But let's have a quick overview. I got a couple of minutes left here. Capital budget's done. You you put that to bed, right? Uh, but the operating budget is, the, is that's the tough nut. That's that's salaries, uh, wages, benefits. Uh, that's uh, you know how much it costs to turn the lights on at rec centers, things like that. It's it's yep. it's uh, uh, it's a challenge this year. 
Yeah, it's a challenge because of some, you know, some additional pressures, uh, largely having to do with, uh, you know, some of the storm damage that we've seen, uh, you know, the potholes and the roads and the, uh, you know, the quick decline that we're seeing in some of the roads that are, uh, that are you know, getting, uh, getting challenges out there, uh, escarpment uh, issues that uh, continue to plague us. So there's a lot, of, a lot of issues on the table that are challenging. Right now we're sitting at about... Uh, Oh, let me add, uh, you know, the request from police, and I support this, additional 25 officers, not a huge budget pressure, but certainly a budget pressure as well. I, I think that's going to get broad support, and I think uh, that's the right thing to do. So there are there are some pressures that we haven't seen in past years. So we're sitting right now at about 3.5, 3.6%, which is still a much lower number than we've ever started with in previous years. So I expect we may be able to whittle that down, but... Um, uh, you know, getting to an inflationary number may be a bit of a challenge this year. So, uh, but we've been successful in that for the last six or seven years, which has been actually quite quite amazing. And if you're only staying inflationary, you're really not covering any additional costs that, that are coming your way. So you're only managing to hold to hold the line. Uh, if you have additional costs in terms of maintenance for waterfront damage or, or escarpment damage or new sewer lines or water lines or roads, you're really not accounting for that because you're, stay, you're staying at that kind of static state. So we're going to have to find ways of raising some additional dollars somewhere. I think it's going to be 3% or less. Uh, but uh, may not be quite the 2% we've had in the past seven or eight years. And, and I know that some people are going to say, well, 3% is way too much, but I was talking to Councillor Collins. He was in here the other day, and uh, he was reminiscing about that, not nicely, though, reminiscing about the days when that, the, the challenges were about 16 17%. Uh, and and council had to whittle that down to two or three percent. So you're you're you you maybe not where you want to be, but you're still in a pretty good place. We're uh, we're starting at a, a much 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 better starting point, and that that's that's been a you know a, a huge effort on behalf of staff to uh, really come to terms with uh, not inflating budgets and and you know being being real with what they're putting on the table, and then you know some enhancements are always uh, called for. Uh, there, there's demand for enhancements throughout the year. We'll we'll deal with those and see how that plays out. But uh, we start at a much better starting point, and uh, I know that we're going to whittle that down to, uh, you know, what I think is a fair and reasonable number, given the work that we need to do in the community. And you know what? We're now focused on not only looking at the short term, but also making sure that we're looking after the long term. Is this going to be wrapped up by the, uh, the next week or two? No, it'll be, uh, it'll be kind of early March, I imagine. So another month or so before we get to, before we get to final numbers. T- generally, we, d- we don't finalize until the provincial budget's been finalized because you don't know what yeah. the impact of that is going to be. So there's always a bit of a holdover from that. And we don't know when that's coming yet either. Nope. Uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, we're right out of time. Thanks uh, so much to everybody. So, sorry we couldn't get to all the emails and tweets and uh, the phone calls, but uh, we'll do this again in just a couple of weeks. Thanks so much, Mr. Mayor. Uh, you know, thanks for listening, and always a pleasure, Bill. Thank you. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the stories I want to delve into here uh, is, uh, well, the story that uh, broke yesterday about a leaked document at Queen's Park, and it has to do with a uh, confidential draft of a bill. We're told it's a draft, anyway, uh, about what they call a super agency. This is all uh, to do with uh, the Doug Ford promise that he was going to uh, revamp uh, the Ontario health care system. Um, now, and, and they're throwing around buzzwords, uh, which I know scare an awful lot of people, things like finding efficiencies. And, and efficiencies all the time for governments is really just a euphemism for budget cuts. And um, I'm not so sure that that's the best way to go. However, previous governments of all stripes, conservative, NDP, liberal, uh, have for years now just thrown money at the healthcare system saying, well, this is going to fix it. And it doesn't. It, it's not fixed. 
Uh, and I, if I had a buck for every government that said, uh, we're going to reduce wait times, I'd be a wealthy guy these days. I mean, they always say that, and, and that hasn't really worked too well. So th- th- there has to be an honest discussion about what's going on in the healthcare system and how it can be fixed and how it can be improved. Uh, and I'm not so sure if this draft document that was released is, is going down the right road. Uh, we just don't know. Uh, I will tell you, though, we are endeavoring to get the uh, health minister on the program, and uh, I pro- not this hour, but probably in the next hour, uh, Christine Elliott will join us uh, for a few minutes and be able to explain to us exactly what is going on. But the uh, the document that was leaked yesterday, uh, it has raised some concerns for people within the system and uh, should raise concerns with all of us because at one point or another we're all going to use the system uh, in some way, shape, or form, whether it's for primary care in a hospital or long-term care as we get older. Uh, as people get sick, there's a, a lot going on here, and uh, there's a lot of things that are factored into this. Now, what we do know is this, is that uh, the Ford government uh, has struck a panel now that uh, is supposed to be looking into this, and uh, they've already issued a preliminary report. There's a, a mini-report came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's, it's all headed by uh, Dr. Ruben Devlin, uh, who, uh, of course, is by the way, is a past president of the Ontario PC Party, and uh, worked on the Doug Ford campaign, but he's also the uh, past president of Humber River Hospital, uh, which has been hailed as, as one of the most efficiently run uh, institutions. So, so we'll put that on the CV as well. But as to exactly what they're talking about and what they're proposing to do here, uh, seems to be a little cloudy at this stage. Uh, the, the terms about super boards and super agencies uh, come into play here. Uh, and, and a lot of folks that are involved in delivering health care in this province right now, I think, have some serious questions, and I, they have to be part of this discussion. Uh, joining us to talk about this is uh, Sarah LaBelle, who is a board member and spokesperson for the Ontario Health Coalition. Sarah, thank you for uh, jumping in on this. I really appreciate the time today. Thank you very much for having me on uh, your radio show. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about what we do know. I, and I, I know that the minister's saying it's only a draft, uh, but look, we know enough about the political system to know that oftentimes these are trial balloons, and this may well be the way that they want to go. Uh, there's, there's a lot in here that that I think raises some serious concerns. And let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, what we're towing. And, and I, I, I guess one of the things that of major concern right now is there's there's certainly an element of dismantling a lot of all of the institutions within the healthcare system that are already there. Uh, you know, they've already promised us that they're going to blow the lens out the, the local health integrated networks. Those are going to be gone. Uh, now they're talking about putting this super agency in charge of healthcare. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I'm just going to start off by saying this is a preliminary position, as sure. you know, it's an 80 page document, and we are all kind of reeling from this, you know, announcement. Um, I thank you to the NDP for actually getting a copy of this and leaking it prior to it being presented in the legislation as as a bill. At least we will have a little bit of time to fully analyze it and to consult with our members. We we are an organization, the Ontario Health Coalition. We represent over 400 grassroots movements. It's family groups, it's patients, it's seniors organizations. Um, we have uh, healthcare professionals, doctors, unions, uh, seniors groups. So like it's a large, uh, diverse population that is very concerned about uh, protecting public health care. So that is our mandate is to protect public health care. And we are gravely concerned over the 80 page document that was leaked. This bill, we view this bill as from the preliminary uh, Perusal is a major restructuring bill. There was no public consultation. There was absolutely no mention of this in the election. Where is the mandate? 
uh, people want the, a, re, a fix on hallway medicine and, and a way to address wait times, but I do not think that the people of Ontario would have voted for Doug Ford had he disclosed in his election platform that his view for the transformation of healthcare meant massive restructuring, privatization, and cuts to services, which is exactly what this bill does. Um, there is deep consensus that regional planning is exactly the right thing to do for healthcare. And, you know, they introduced the LINs, but the basic flaw of that legislation was that it didn't require public consultation. They were undemocratic. They were unelected. There was no mechanism for meaningful public input. Their mandate entirely was to amalgamate, merge, and transfer services. They did not do any measure or planning to meet the needs of patient care, whether people needed more home care, whether we needed more long-term care beds in communities, whether there was a need for more hospital beds. There was no planning for population growth, no planning for aging. And as long as the Ford government listens to those people who have actually been the prime beneficiaries of healthcare restructuring for the past 20 years, as long as they listen to the Reuben Devlins of the world, the very people that have enriched themselves from healthcare restructuring, then health planning will always happen in their interest and not in the public interest. Well, here's the, here's the problem, and, and I've just had the overview on this as well, Sarah. So you're right. I mean, we are kind of shooting in the dark here a little bit, but, I mean, there there, there is the bones of a, of a system here that they've talked about. Uh, and 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 I understand that obviously this is a premier that loves to work on slogans and 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 he's you know little two or three word things that he can put on top of the podium when he goes to make one of these announcements and this thing about you know hallway healthcare and I, I guess that has a nice little ring to it, but what they don't seem to want to admit here is that the reason that the, those people are in the hallways is because there are people upstairs in hospital beds that shouldn't be in hospital. They should be in long-term care facilities. Uh, they should be in clinics. They should be in hospice care, and they're not there. And I don't hear anything at all about saying, well, let's commit to that. Uh, and and that, therein lies part of the problem. It, this, this, is, this is because everything seems to be focused on hospitals. That's only one element of health care, and that's where they seem to be focusing and say that's where we're going to start cutting and finding. I, I get nervous anytime any government says finding efficiencies because that usually means we're going to start cutting services. And, and I would agree with you 100% um, on when they use the term finding efficiencies, when they use the term restructuring, it usually means that there will be cuts to services. Um, on the issue of all of these patients that, you know, we keep hearing that, you know, should be in another type of care. The reality is, is that we have some patients that, yes, require long-term care. Absolutely. That has to be part of the planning. However, there are many, many patients in beds right now that actually require another type of bed. They're in a surgical bed. They require a medical bed. They're in a medical bed, they require a rehab bed. So this, this, you know, myth that all of the patients that are in these beds can be discharged into other types of care is exactly that. It's a myth. The reality is Ontario has the fewest beds in Canada of any province. We have cut our hospitals the deepest of any jurisdiction. And in fact, in the OEC data, we are third from the bottom. We have the highest 30-day readmission rates in Canada. Almost one in not every nine patients is readmitted to hospital with complications. This is because patients are being pushed out too fast without rehabilitation, without proper post-surgical care, and it is threatening Ontario's health, health 
and costing untold amounts and having to treat expensive complications in patients that come back in through the emergency department. And, so and but, but as a result, though, Sarah, we're getting we're getting platitudes from from. Uh, I mean, Doctor Devlin, who's in charge of this this group that's uh, supposedly putting this report out. Uh, he, 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 he developed a scenario when he was talking to the media yesterday. He says, you know, when somebody gets discharged from the hospital, he says they should be able to get that phone call on their way home uh, from, uh, hi, this is, uh, this is the, uh, the, the visiting uh, nurse. When can I schedule an appointment? They don't fund that. I mean, that's not going to happen because there's no funding for home care. They're not enough for that. The other element that, that they don't seem to want to recognize here is to develop your scenario, people usually do get discharged before they're healthy. Uh, they get them out of there so they can move somebody else in. They get a prescription and say, take this. If you don't have a drug plan, you can't even fill the prescription. So you get more sick and you end up back in the hospital again. The, the, these are the realities that people are facing right now, and the government doesn't seem to want to admit that that's what's going on. And, and you are absolutely correct on that. Um, and we have huge concerns. I mean, the, the Ontario Health Coalition has made multiple recommendations and, and did through the pre-budget submissions, made recommendations on the whole healthcare system. It is a full continuum of care. And there are multiple suggestions to help address and, and alleviate and make things better. But the solution is not to cut in one area to fix somewhere else when the whole issue is that there is a lack of proper funding. There's a lack of actually public home care. There is not enough of it. It's private and in, in operated in for-profit interests. Not enough money is going to frontline patient care. It is rationed. And, and you're absolutely right on the home care piece that, you know, when people are, when they are able to be discharged into home care, they are discharged right away from hospitals. But if you're going to ration the services that people are actually getting when they get out into home care, you are going to have a problem in that it is going to end up with, with people with post-surgical infections or more complications. So you're right. It is a whole system uh, restructuring. But the solution is not to create a super agency that has all of the powers to privatize and cut services and integrate with the stroke of a pen. That is not the solution. There should be public consultations and there should actually be planning around the actual needs in the communities and the population. There's another yeah. element to this. We're, I, we, I, I know our time is tight here, but the, yeah. and this is such a, a, a broad-based discussion. But, you know, when, when they say, okay, we're going to eliminate the LINs, and I know that the, the LINs and, and before that the district health councils, which are the, uh, the pre-runner, the, uh, they, they've been beat up by different governments, and, as they, and I'm sure there are problems and there's some things that need to be done. But if you're going to eliminate that and simply have one super board, that essentially means that, that health care is going to be uh, decreed from Queen's Park, and it's going to be one size fits all, whether you're in Hamilton or Sudbury or Sault Ste. Marie or Kitchener, it's going to be the same system. And and you know, and I know, and people within the healthcare system know, that it can't be a one size fits all, because there are different needs in different communities. Absolutely, and and you know, I, I do remember one assistant uh, minister to a minister of health met commenting on how, well, it's just cheaper to fly someone from Timmins to Toronto than it is to actually deliver the pro proper health care in, in Timmins. And I don't think that that is actually the case. 
I think the evidence bears out that if you actually, you know, build good health care, public health care in, in each community, that it actually is extremely efficient, that people have access. You know, that everything about this super agency is that it, there is absolutely no mention of the principles of a public health care system, of accessibility, of universality, of comprehensive coverage. You know, like that's the concern in that the, the entire document only seems to have a mandate that, that the minister has the overreaching powers to make final decisions to, you know, to merge all kinds of different facilities. They can merge hospitals, psychiatric facilities, home care. They're able at the stroke of the pen to, to do this. And that is the concern is that communities need to have input. They need to, to have a, a mechanism by which they can make recommendations on what the needs are. And, and you are right. It is different. When you are downtown Toronto and you have access to a cardiac you know, center of excellence on one street and a cancer center of excellence on another street, it's easy. But when you're in the north, you don't have that same luxury. And and there are ways to address those, but it's done through public consultations and it's done through talking to frontline staff who deliver the services. And there's, there, look, there's one, there, one I, just about out of time here, but there's one thing that, that we need to keep in mind, Sarah, and I hope it's going to be part of this discussion. Uh, this is a leaked document that, that, that gives us a, an outline and some insight into what they want to do with health care in this province. Last week, it was about the education system. And in both situations, the common theme through both of those, Sarah, has been we're going to find ways to be, do this where it's going to be costing us less money. And I'm a taxpayer and you're a taxpayer, and I understand that to a point. But I, I'd like my minister or my premier to say, I'm going to give you a better system. And they're not saying that. They're simply going to say, we're going to give you a cheaper system. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there's an old adage, you get what you pay for. Uh, I agree 100%. In fact, the evidence suggests that there is room for, you know, increased taxation on the wealthiest in this province, that we have a growing GDP. We have the largest you know, in, in Canada, there is an opportunity. Corporations are now taxed at the lowest levels. Other jurisdictions are taxing higher. There is an opportunity for us to find a way to fund our public services like, like health care and do it in the proper way and in a quality way, not the cheapest healthcare system going. I, I'd be very concerned about Reuben Devlin. I, he, his tenure as the CEO of Humber River was to close three hospitals. They closed Northwestern, Humber Memorial, and York Finch. They built a mega hospital at Keel and Wilson. It was a P3. It had loads of issues then, and it still does. So that is that is the the ideology of Reuben Devlin and, and where he is coming from. And other people on that panel have their own interests in, you know, that they are directors and and um, CEOs of home care system. Well, there's a lot more to be discussed on this. Uh, and Sarah, we'll have you back on when we can uh, get into the bones about some of the other issues that are coming on. I really appreciate you jumping in on short notice. Thanks for this today. Thank you very much. Uh, Sarah LaBelle, uh, obviously at work right now, a board member for the Ontario Health Coalition. Only one of the uh, the many groups that have uh, expressed some deep concerns about this. And as we mentioned, uh, we will have the health minister, Christine Elliott, will join us uh, in about an hour. Uh, we're told just around 11.15 or so. Uh, she'll be able to hop onto the program here and give us some perspective on uh, this document and just where the government's going. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Earlier on the program, we were talking about uh, well this leaked document uh, that uh, is making the rounds at Queen's Park right now. 
And uh, the NDP, of course, the opposition parties have already gone crazy about this. Uh, it is uh, what some people are describing anyway as a draft plan for uh, reforming the health care system here in the province of Ontario, which, by the way, is something that uh, the Ford government said that they were going to address in the next little while. Uh, I'm not so sure that people knew how far along the process they are. Uh, anyway, uh, the document itself uh, is causing all sorts of consternation. And to add some clarity to this, uh, we're so pleased to welcome to the program the uh, Minister of Health for the Province of Ontario, the Honorable Christine Elliott, joins us here on the uh, Bill Kelly Show. Minister, thank you so much for the time. Great you go, that you could jump in with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to join you, Bill. Thank you. Let's let's talk a little bit about this, if we could, about the, the document itself, and uh, and and I'm not going to go crazy like like the NDP about you know this is a you know the world is coming to an end, but there are some radical changes being proposed and, and being outlined here. Maybe you could talk to us a little bit about where you are in this process. Sure. Well, we promised the people of Ontario that we were going to create a healthcare system that is connected and meets their needs throughout their lives, and that's what we're going to do. But I think there is a lot of misinformation out there right now that I would like to clarify. Please do. Because in politics, you know, we can disagree on a a lot of things, but one value that we all share is the right to universal access to a publicly funded health care system. This is a, a cornerstone of what it means to be Canadian. So that means you do not pay out of pocket for insured services, and it means you don't get to skip the line. Plain and simple. So we are investing in our publicly funded healthcare system. We want to make sure it's we want to make sure it's modernized, and we want to make sure it's centered around people and patients. Well, you've heard the, the the calls from the NDP right now suggesting that this is uh, opening the door to privatization. Though they they seem to look at it totally differently from what you're describing. Well, uh, Andrew Horvath is simply wrong. Our government is committed to protecting and strengthening our publicly funded health care system. And, you know, she has been on the record many times stating that our system needs to be updated and modernized and centered around the patient. And the reality is um, that we have over 32,000 people in Ontario right now who are waiting to find spaces in long-term care homes. And every single day in Ontario, there are over 1,200 people in Ontario who are receiving hallway health care. That is not the way we should be running our health care system. People deserve better, and the health care providers need to be able to deliver the excellent care that they want to deliver in quality spaces. That's what we're concentrating our attention to, is meeting the needs of Ontarians. I want to ask you, there's some buzzwords in here that I, I think make some people a little bit nervous, though, Minister, and one of them is efficiencies. Uh, Dr. Devlin, uh, Ruben Devlin, who's uh, heading this task force for you, of course, uh, we talked about finding efficiencies. Now, to an awful lot of people, and I'm sure you know, you've been in the game long enough to know that, that when people use the word efficiencies in government, they, tend to, they, they look at that as a euphemism for budget cuts. Is that where we're going here? No, what we're talking about is getting more more service and more provision of, of services and providers at the front line in healthcare. But what that means is what we are doing in the Ministry of Health is looking at the way we do every single piece of work. And some of those efficiencies are things that we can do within the ministry that will um, not only, they won't negatively affect patient care, they will positively help with patient care by putting more people on the front lines delivering services. 
So are we looking at, uh, well, let's talk, let's talk about the impact. I know this is way too early in the process to start attaching numbers and, and, and budgets to this right now, but are we looking at investing more into health care or simply spending uh, less money into health care? I mean, or is it the same, just more efficiently? I mean, you've got a number of options here. Well, it, it's interesting because we're spending uh, a lot of money on health care in Ontario. It's $61 billion, but study after study has shown that we're not getting good value. For those healthcare dollars, we need to spend money more wisely and center it around the patient. That's what the focus of our attention is to make sure that the money that we spend is being spent on the things that people need. We need more long term care homes. We need to make sure that people can be treated not in storage rooms and hallways of hospitals. We need to make sure that people who have mental health and addictions problems and concerns don't have to wait a year for services. That is not acceptable, and that is what we are going to improve. You probably could have written this report yourself, though, Mr. Vick. I mean, I know you spent the last number of years before you got back into government uh, as, as a patient advocate, of course, uh, in, in the Ontario health care system. And so uh, you know firsthand, you've heard from people about this. And so I, I'm preaching to the choir here when I tell you that, you know, the, and the people that are in the hallways right now are there because the people upstairs in some of those hospital beds shouldn't be in a hospital. They should be someplace else. There, there are long-term care facilities. There's wait times for those. Uh, there's a matter of affordability. I think uh, you saw the report last year that indicated that uh, the average cost per month of long-term care facilities in the GTA is about $5,000 a month. I mean, that's that's just out of the range for some people. So on and on it goes. Uh, hospice care, there's a number of different facets to this right now. Uh, I guess what we're doing is waiting for, when is this going to come into the conversation about alleviating the problem in hospitals by giving those people that need to be in other facilities the spots to be in those facilities? Well, you're absolutely right, Bill, and that is one of the uh, reasons that we made our campaign promise, which we are fulfilling, to create 15,000 long-term care bed spaces within five years because people um, deserve to have a place to go. No one wants to stay in hospital longer than they need to, but that's what's happening uh, because we don't have enough long-term care spaces. So once we, as we are doing that, we will then be creating the, uh, the the spaces within the hospital, which will alleviate the hallway medicine. So it's all connected, and we are working on all aspects of it at the same time. Uh, let's let's ta- talk about the elephant in the room. And again, Andrew Horvath talking about privatization, and I know that we've talked to some people from health coalitions that are concerned about this. Um, and and I, I again, I don't want to you know start the fear mongering like like some of these people are doing at this stage. But in your opinion, is there a place for private facilities and for private care and private contributions to the healthcare system, or uh, that, that we can have a blend kind of a hybrid? Or do we even consider that going down that road? No, our our primary concern is on strengthening our public healthcare system. Um, that is what is most important to the people of Ontario, and that's what we're focusing our attention on because we know that um, that people expect to um, to uh, make sure that OHIP pays for their insured services, and that you don't need uh, there. There shouldn't be a place to skip the line because you have money. We are focused on our public system so everyone can have access to it. So, so enhancing what we've got already, in other words, enhancing the systems uh, under, under the OHIP system as opposed to looking at, at private uh, contributions. Yes, we want to modernize our, our public system, bring it into the, uh, the 21st century, look at digital options, but mostly make sure it's connected for people because people feel very 
disconnected sometimes from our system. If you have someone who's in hospital that leads, that needs to go to long-term care or to go to home care services, people feel that they, um, their health care system isn't there for them. We want to make sure that the public health care system is there for people every step along the way in their lives. Minister, talk to us about uh, what they have dubbed the super agency uh, that's being proposed in here. And again, this is, this is there's not a whole lot of detail in, in Dr. Devlin's initial report here, uh, but I, I'm getting the sense just in the overview that I've read about this uh, that you're talking about, uh, I don't know if it's disbanding or amalgamating anyway, some of the current agencies, Cancer Care Ontario and some of the places like this, under this big umbrella. How do you see this working? Well, we will have more to say in the future, but for the present purposes, um, all I can assure you that we are looking at putting as much frontline care into place as possible. That is what the people of Ontario have told us, and that they want us to do it within our publicly funded system, and that's what we are focusing all of our attention on. But is, is, is there a concern here that, the, that this proposed, and this all it is at this stage is a proposal, uh, this super agency that they're talking about here is just going to add another layer of bureaucracy? It's all about frontline service. That's what we're concentrating on because we know that people um, need that to, um, to receive the services that they need in a timely manner. So who's going to, I guess the, the question is, who's going to administer it? Is, is it going to be this, this group of, I think the number that they're talking about was about 15 people on this board. Are, are they essentially going to be the ones that are going to make the determinations about what health care goes where in what part of the province? Well, we are going to continue to work at the Ministry of Health to make sure that the people of Ontario receive the services that they need wherever they live in the province of Ontario. That's my responsibility, and that's a responsibility I will continue to um, to uphold and to work on. Uh, are, are, are there LINs in your future? Do you see the, the local health integrated networks? Are they part of this? Are they, uh, with all their, their warts, and their, there's obviously a lot of concerns about those, as you know, Minister. I know you've heard an awful lot about that. But at the same time, one of the, the things on the plus side of the ledger with LINs is they, they, they were made in those community solutions. In other words, they could give you feedback, give the ministry feedback about what a particular community is going on. How do you endeavor to maintain that, that communication line between different communities and the ministry? It, we are continuing to, um, to plan and consult on the best way to, to do that. Certainly regional concerns are very important, but at the end of the day, uh, I guess the buck stops with me. I am the Minister of Health. That is my responsibility and something that I take very seriously. Uh, when can we get an update on this? Uh, we're told that uh, obviously this is a document uh, uh, that the Toronto Star has published and the, obviously the opposition got a hold of, so we're talking about this. Uh, when can we start putting a little uh, meat on the bones here so we can get a, a fuller discussion about exactly what the proposal is going to look like? Well, we are continuing with our consultations. It's finalized, but um, we will be uh, uh, releasing some information in, uh, in due course. Uh, Minister, thank you so much for the time. I know it's been a busy day for you, and I really appreciate you jumping in here for a few minutes to uh, add some clarity to this. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Bill. Thank you again. That's Ontario Health Minister Christine Elliott uh, speaking to us today from Queen's Park about uh, what's going on here and the story that's circulating about this proposed super agency and revisions to the health care system. And as she says, it's a work in progress. And 
certainly wait to get her back in here to talk about that once they uh, give us some more of the details. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.